Welcome to church. My name is Pete. If you're visiting with us, an extremely warm welcome to you. Give us a wave. Good to see you all. Well, uh, I believe God is among us. And at the end of the service, we're going to be taking time uh, to pray for the sick. So if you're here today and you need God to turn a situation around for you and do a miracle, God is here to do just that. So we'd love to, there'll be people here to pray, lay hands on and see God do miracles. So if that's you, please don't rush off at the end. We'd love to pray with you. Um, let's, we're going to turn to the Bible. We've been going through Matthew chapter 6, and let's just pray and ask God to speak to us as we turn to the Bible. Father, thank you so much today for your great love for everyone in this room. Thank you. You know us better than we know ourselves. Thank you, God, you have a plan for us. God, my prayer is just now, as we turn to the Bible, that you would actually speak to us. Challenge us if you need to. Encourage us where we need encouragement. And I pray you would draw people to yourself. Help me to speak and help us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this uh, Matthew chapter 6. Now Matthew chapter 6 is part of a bigger section which is entitled the Sermon on the Mount. Now the Sermon on the Mount is the world's most famous sermon ever preached. And the verse we're looking at today I think is probably the summary of the whole thing. So read it with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. 1, 2, 3, here it is in the screen. 1, 2, 3. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's about three of you reading. I want all of you to read, so let's do it again, okay? 1, 2, 3. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. In other words, what's most important in your soul? What's the biggest thing going on in your heart? What's the thing that grips you more than anything else and fuels your, your life and gives you energy? Uh, just to, I guess as a way of illustrating this, I wish I had the head mic, I could have hands free. So if, if you have, I've got these huge big pine cones here, these kind of from a, uh, it's a Scots pine, huge big pine cones. And you put the big things in and then you, I ask, is, 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 the, is the jug full? you'd probably say, yeah, the jug's pretty full. But then if, if we get these conkers here, let me just... There we go. Is, is the jug full? Again, you'd probably say, yeah, it's kind of full. But if I, I don't have it, but if I was to have some sands and pour the sand in and give it a shake, it would fill right up again. And then if I, I was, I'd say, is the jug full? You'd say the jug's full. And then if I was to get some water and do it all again, I could fill it up even more. And the point is this, if you did it the other way around, if you put the sand in first and then put the conkers in and then added the big pine cones afterwards, then the reality is you wouldn't get the big things in. There wouldn't be any room for them. But if you put the big things in place first, what happens is all the other things get to fit around it. Now, in life, many people spend their lives on the small things. They spend their lives and their focus and their, the, the, the thing that worries them, the thing that consumes them more than anything else is the small things in life and that causes them to become distracted and neutralizes their effectiveness. But here Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything else will be added to you as well. All the little things, they'll be dealt with. God's got them covered. You know, how are you going to have enough money to pay your bills, your relationships you're longing for, your hopes and your dreams, all that stuff. It will all come. Don't worry about it. 
You're, you're, the only thing you should worry about is giving your full attention to God's, his great purpose, his kingdom, and his righteousness. It's like, you ever seen school kids going to school and they've got the shirt all buttoned up the wrong way? You ever seen that? It's crazy. And you look at those kids and you're like, you're so crazy. I mean, I would never do that. Sugar. I can't believe it. On the day I used that illustration, my shirt is also... Sorry, let me sort it. So the problem was, you see, if you get the first button wrong, every other button falls into the wrong place, yeah? You get the first button wrong, everything else falls out of sync. Now you can be undistracted for the rest of the sermon. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, does he know that... I know, I know you were thinking. I know you think, I'm, you think I'm dumb, right? So if you get the first button wrong, everything else is out of sync. And many people are living life out of sync because they haven't put the first thing first. And to be honest, what could be greater than God? What, I mean, in life, think about it. The creator of the universe, the one who inspired all creativity, the one who created this incredible, abundant world, who could be greater than God? So why would you want to have anything in your life greater than God? I'm not talking about becoming a fanatic. Far from, actually. I'm talking about becoming a radical human being who loves other people, is generous with your life, who loves God, who knows great fulfillment and dies well and lives for eternity. Right? I'm talking about that kind of human being, not some sort of fanat religious fanatical person. I'm talking about someone who's so well adjusted that everything else has fallen into place. You see, people think it's weird to be passionate about God's. Actually, he's the creator of everything. It's kind of weird not to be excited about the greatest being ever who loves you more than you could ever love yourself. That's kind of weird, right? Ooh, weirdos, okay? Loving God is so normal, so right. Seek first, that makes sense. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So what does it mean, his kingdom? Well, his kingdom Another way of understanding it is, is where he, as king, he's the ultimate king, where he rules. So if God rules and he rules in a particular domain, that is part of his kingdom. So I guess the kingdom of God advances as more and more people agree to being under God's authority. Another way to understand the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God equals the will of God. So remember further back in Matthew 6, as we've gone through these chapters in, these, this chapter in, this, in the last few weeks... Matthew 6, verse, 33, uh, sorry, verse, verse 10 says, your kingdom come, remember that famous prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the kingdom of God is the will of God. So how do you know if the kingdom, how do you seek first the kingdom of God in your life and in my life? Well, here's the question. Are you wanting your will or his will? Now, when it comes to relationships, is it going to be your way or God's way? Okay, when it comes to money, is it going to be your way or God's way? When it comes to the way you handle your work, is it going to be your way or God's way? That's what it means for, to seek first his kingdom. It's like uh, there was the captain of a ship and it was dark and it was a stormy evening and as he was traveling uh, across the ocean, in the distance, he sees a light, and he turns to his, his right-hand man and says, um, send them a signal, tell them to adjust their course 10 degrees to the north. So he sent the signal. 
Within a few moments, another signal came back saying, no, no, you need to adjust your course 10 degrees to the south. The captain was incensed. He said, okay, let's up the ante here a bit. Tell them I'm the commander, a naval commander. Tell them to adjust their course 10 degrees to the north. And again, within minutes, another reply came back saying, I am third-class Seaman Jones. Adjust your course 10 degrees to the south. The guy was furious. He said, he thought, okay, this will scare the heebie-jeebies into them. Tell them that we are a destroyer in the Royal Navy. 10 degrees to the south, please. Within moments, the reply comes back, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. We're a lighthouse. You see, the thing is, that's what we're like with God's. We're in this debate with God. Okay, God, I want to do it my way. But actually, we're, we're so wrong. God is so good. He's so faithful. He's so wise. Doing life God's way. Actually, you put the big thing in place, everything else falls into place. You get the right starting point, everything else comes into alignment. God's got it covered. And the problem, actually, all the problems on planet Earth come from this issue of the human will going wrong. But way back at the beginning in the Bible, it describes how humankind rejected God, called the fall of man. Way back at the beginning, in the garden, remember? However it happened, mankind rejected God. And ever since then, there's been this battle of wills, either his will or our will, and typically we go for ours. And that is why there's all the problems on planet Earth. Every single problem, every bit of suffering, every war comes from our will, not God's will, every time. And the good news is this. 2,000 years ago, while it was thousands of years before that, we chose our will over God's in a garden. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, in the garden of Gethsemane, said to the Father in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, yet not what I will, but what you will. Our fall came from disobedience in a garden. Our salvation came from Jesus' obedience in the garden of Gethsemane where he agreed to the will of God. And in that moment, he died in our place on the cross and he rose again and he's alive right now. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what Jesus did for us. And actually, you are saved not by being religious, not by ticking off a whole lot of tick boxes. You are saved by coming under his will, by submitting yourself to the will of God's. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There it is in the Bible, very clear. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. In other words, I'm coming under that authority. Not my will, but your will. I want your will to be done in my life. You come under that authority. Jesus is Lord. You believe that he died for you and rose again. You're saved. That's how you get saved, not by being a perfect person, not by being religious, not by attending church every Sunday, although that's good for your soul. It's by connecting with him, by submitting to his lordship, and by trusting in his death and resurrection. He's so good and so faithful. Let's hear it for our Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all other things will be added to you. His righteousness. What does it mean to seek first his righteousness? You know, it doesn't mean, all right, live better. It doesn't mean, all right, I've got to 
up my game here and be more morally righteous. I mean, that would do you good, right? But that's not what it means. It doesn't, seek first as righteous doesn't mean behave yourself better. It means his righteousness. That's what it says in the verse, right? It doesn't say seek first to be more righteous. It says seek first his righteousness. You see that in the verse? You see, again on the cross, it was imagine, imagine like, imagine Jesus had a bank account and you've got a bank account. And imagine it's, it's a moral bank account. And we are morally, as human beings, we are morally in debt. We're sinners. That's what the Bible says. Not, I mean, we do some good stuff sometimes, but fundamentally, we're sinners. We're morally in debt. Jesus wasn't a sinner. And he was morally righteous, completely flawless, not one sin in his life. So when Jesus died on the cross, actually what took place was a swap. A transaction happens. He assumes our debt into his own account. And in exchange, he gives us his moral righteousness into our account. Literally, that's what took place on the cross. He died paying the debt that he didn't owe. And I get the rewards I didn't deserve. He died because of my sin, and he gives me his righteousness. So when it says seek first his righteousness, it's not saying become better. It's saying trust the Savior to take away all your sin. And today, maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've even been religious, but maybe you've never personally trusted the Savior with your life. Why not today? You can never, you can never be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus died. and If being good enough was good enough, Jesus would not have needed to die on the cross, right? There was good people around before Jesus died on the cross. That was not good enough. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross to take away our moral debt so that we can have moral righteousness before a holy God because of the great exchange that took place because he loves us so much. So if you've never trusted Jesus to be your savior today, why not today make that huge decision and trust him to be your great savior? I'll give you that opportunity at the end. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. So what does it mean practically to actually seek first? In our lives, what does it mean? Um, There was a story of a trapeze artist, a famous trapeze artist, and he was teaching a trainee how to do the the high trapeze. And they'd been practicing on much lower swings, but now is the time they were in the big tent and, and there was the trapeze. And the young apprentice, the trainee, was looking at this thing and thinking, that's so high. He was freaked out by the height of it. I remember when I was a trainee uh, trapeze artist, I felt the same, okay? Man, it's so scary. But anyway, this, this guy, he looked at that and he thought, wow, that's so high, that's so scary. And he, and, and he said, I can't do it, I can't do it. And the famous trapeze artist said to him, son, listen, this is all you need to do. The way I overcome that fear is this. You've got to throw your heart over it and then your body will follow. You've got to throw your heart over, then your body will follow. And the, the point is the same in life. Whatever's got your heart will get your lifestyle and your actions and your behavior. So you seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness, then it will result in a life change in the way you behave. In fact, if you look at the other parts of Matthew 6 that we've been studying, Matthew 6, Jesus has been dealing with our worries about possessions, about wealth, and about time, you know, about about the future. We get all worried about possessions, and Jesus is, in the context of that, he's saying, no, no, 
Don't worry about all those things. Seek first the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? I think it means seek him first in the areas of your time and your wealth and your money. So I'm going to talk about those two things now briefly. First of all, about your time. Seeking first God's kingdom means he takes first priority. He takes the first slot in your time. Imagine every day you got 86,400 pounds deposited in your account. Woo, okay, you're imagining that. Imagine every day 86,400 pounds was deposited in your account. And here's the rules. You only get one day to use it. You can't hold any of it over for the next day. There's no overdraft facility. And you can't spend, you can't go one penny into the red. You only get 86,400, no more, no less. And it all goes at that day, end of that day. And here's the good news. The next day, you get another 86,400 pounds in your account. And the next day, and the next day. Question, how would you live differently? What would you do with that resource? How would you use it? Did you know that every day in your life, you have 86,400 seconds given to you every day? And there's no overdraft facility. You don't get to spend it twice, you only get to spend them once. And you can't save them, I want want some of these seconds for the next day, you can't save them for the next day. Because the next day, no matter what you did with them the day before, the next day you will wake up and you will get another 86,400 seconds to live. Did you know that? And how many people know that a second is worth far more than a pound? And that is a result. So the question is, again, how are you going to use that resource? How are you going to invest that resource? How are you using what God has given to you, that heartbeat, that lung breath, that opportunity to live, that every second for the glory of God? You know, someone once says, we cannot change time, but we can change our priorities. So here's a question I've got for you. Have you ever asked God, what's your will for my life? You ever asked God that question? Are you just taking over and just going through the motions? Or have you ever stopped and said, God, what's your will for my life? I know some of you are scared to pray that because you think, he's going to ask me to be a monk, all right? I mean, my hairstyle's starting to look like that more these days. I just, it's, next, it's the next thing he's going to ask me. I know he's going to ask me to be a monk. And you're, fr- you're scared to ask God, re- to really ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Man, you have such a warped view of God, don't you? You think that he's going to give you, he's going to ask you to do the very, the very last thing you want to do. Go to that part of the world where you'll nearly die, you know. Well, maybe he will, but if that's you, you will be so excited about that. But that's not for everyone. I'm just saying, why not just ask God that question? God's what do you want me to do with my life? That's a good use of your time. Ask him, what do you want me to do? Why not live each day for God rather than for yourself? I mean, that's, to be honest, I think that's just normal humanity. That's how we were designed to be in the very first place. Put the first thing first. Let God be first. How else can you use your time? for? Use your talent, gift, and resource for the glory of God. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. Everyone's very talented. 
But many people who are talented just use it to serve themselves. But God's got a far more radical, more satisfying, more exciting agenda for your life. Use your talent to serve someone else. So you might be very administrative. Bless you. Okay? That's not me. But that's a real gift. Use that talent to bless someone. You might be very creative, very innovative. Use that talent to bless someone. You might be very good at hospitality. You're just such a warm, welcoming person. Use that talent to bless someone. You might be incredibly good at caring for other people and you take time to listen. That is an amazing gift. Use that to bless someone. And, you know, use your gifts and talents in the house of God, in the church. You know, we're always looking for volunteers. This is this, this church with hundreds and hundreds of people connecting across three locations, soon to be four. We're doing so many great things. Every Sunday we gather. And that takes an army of people that's behind the scenes as kids workers, as youth workers. We're really needing volunteers in those important areas. We're needing people to help with the technical areas, the multimedia and the PA system. We're needing musicians. Even the danger is when you come into something like this, you think, oh, they've got all the bases covered. That's the danger. We actually don't because we're constantly stretching and stepping out with new things. We are constantly looking for a new wave of people. We're looking for electric guitarists and drummers. The one we've got is rubbish. We need to replace it. No, just kidding, you do it. Just kidding. We're just looking for, we're looking constantly for new people to step up and fill the gaps. You might be passionate about sharing your faith. Well, we've got a go team that goes out every week. You might be passionate about the homeless in the city. We've got teams that go out several times in the week to help with the homeless. Use your talent. Don't just live for yourself. Use your time and your talent to serve God and other people. Give me an amen if you agree. And then also use your money. Now, you know what? No pastor likes to talk about money in church. My friend's here today. Good to have my friend Magic with me. Uh, he's visiting church today. But this is his first time at church. And I said to him, listen, I'm so glad you're coming. But you know, I'm talking about money on Sunday. I, and I just want to say that to any visitors here today. As I talk about money, don't think every week. Are they going to talk about money if I come back next week? Yeah, money part two. Then money part three. No, it's, we don't often talk about money. In fact, it's every few years we talk about money. But today's that day. So welcome to church visitors. So don't be freaked out, okay? Please come back next week. We'll tell you lots of things about other stuff, all right? But today, I'm going to talk to you about money. I'm going to talk to you specifically about this incredible thing called the tithe. Say tithe. I didn't say, say, oh, say tithe. So the tithe. And this is an incredibly important thing. And I'm talking to you about something that I believe in. It would be hypocritical for me to teach on something that I didn't live. I love this principle, and I want you to understand it. Um, there was a man in the airport one day, and he was desperate for a coffee and donuts. And so he went and got some coffee and donuts, and then he looked for a seat. And there wasn't many seats available. And there was, a, there was one table where there was one guy already sitting at it, so he went and joined that guy at the table. He puts his bags down, and then he dips into the bag of donuts and takes out a donut. And starts eating it. And then the next thing is the guy across the table pulls the donuts to him and takes the donut out as well. <laughs> the guy's thinking, all right, he, he must not be totally with it or something. So he, 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 just, he pulled the donuts really close this time. And he took another donut out. And then the guy, seconds later, reached right across the table, hand right into the bag, took out a donut, smiled at the guy, and ate the donut. The guy's thinking, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And then the next thing that happens is the guy puts his jacket on, picks his bag up, reaches across, there's one last donut. Gets the last donut, eats half of the last donut, puts it back in the bag for him, gives him the thumbs up, waves, and then leaves. 
And the guy's sitting there, blown away, thinking, you've just eaten half my donuts, and you've eaten half a donut, donut thief, and you've left half of me. I'm not touching that. And you, th- you look at the time, you suddenly realize it's your time to get your plane. So you get your jacket on, and you reach down to get your bag, and as you reach down to get your bag, there on the floor beside your bag is your bag of donuts. You thought he was stealing, but actually, he was sharing. Now, God has all the donuts. God's got them all. They're all his. And every week, God gives you 10. And those 10, he he expects you to give him one back as an acknowledgement that he gave you everything you've got in the first place. You say, give one to your local church. That's called the tithe. But instead, what we do is we say, no, they're mine. No, no, they were all God's in the first place. He chose to share with you the 10, and he asks for one back. And that's the tithe. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. A tithe of everything from the lands, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. Say belongs. Belongs to the Lord. In other words, all his anyway, and the tithe is God's. It belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, when you think of the word holy, you often think of morally clean or pure. But actually, when it's using the word holy here, it means set apart. It means exclusively his. That's the tithe. It's exclusively his. I don't want to touch what's exclusively God's. You know what the word tithe actually means? It means tenth. And do you know the number 10 in the Bible represents testing? Did you know that? Right through the Bible, whenever 10 appears, it often refers to testing. So here's some examples. Um, You know how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart in the plagues? How many times do you reckon? You're like Bible scholars. 10, that's right. How how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? 10, that's correct. How many commandments are there? 10 commandments. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? How many do you reckon? 10, that's right. Come on, folks. It's a kind of pattern here. Uh, even if you even don't have a clue what this is talking about, just, just say, okay. So how many times did he test Israel in the wilderness? That's right. How many times did God test Jacob's heart by changing his wages several times at Laban's house? How many times? That's right, 10. Uh, how many times did God test Daniel in Daniel chapter 1? 10 times. How many days of testing were there in the book of Revelation chapter 2? How many disciples are there? Ah, uh, twelve guys. Uh, just see if you're paying attention. Ten, but so, so, so no, ten represents testing right through the Bible. Ten represents testing. And here's the thing with the tithe: actually, God is testing you. So every time you receive an income, you're being tested. I, I'm being tested. Every time you pay, you're paid. You face a test. There was a, a businessman in London, a very successful businessman. And also an author, a guy called Jeff Letts. And Jeff Letts said this, and I think it's great. He said, God can get money to you. The question is, can God get money through you? Okay? And the British, we squeeze the pound so hard, we make the queen cry. She, 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 because we, we squeeze it so hard. And so the test is, you know, God can get money to you, but can God get money through you? So first of all, it tests you. But did you know the tithe is a two-way test? Not only is God testing you, but did you know that also we are testing God? 
Now, this is remarkable, and this is kind of awkward, because we know it's wrong to test God typically, but there is one place in the Bible where it says we should test God, and it is in Malachi chapter 3, or for the Italians among you, Malachi, number 3. Okay, Malachi 3 verse 8, it says, will mere mortals rob God? And yet you are robbing me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and in offerings, you're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. God says, test me. Listen to what he says. God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Wow. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. I don't know what that means for you, but I guess it it might mean the things that whittle away your, your income and your revenue. And your vines and your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed. Isn't that amazing? And interesting, the word test here, test me in this, the word test here in the Bible actually is the same word that's used to describe when you're testing the purity of a metal. And it's God saying, would you test my purity? See if I'm true to my words. That's what God is saying here in this amazing verse. Now, some people say, well, that's just in the Old Testament. It's just the Old Testament that, that has tithing. Anyone, anyone here got a wallet with them? Just, just as, a, as an example here, anyone got a wallet? Oh, thanks, God. That's a beautiful one. Thanks so much. Thank you. Anyone else got their wallet? <laughs> okay. Now, how many people agree, right, stealing? That's Old Testament. You know, thou shalt not steal. That's the Ten Commandments. That's Old Testament. I'm no longer under the law. So thanks, God. <laughs> so, yeah? How many people would agree that stealing is not right today? It's a quiz. This is a really hard question. Is stealing right or wrong? Tell me. That's correct. Oh, well, that's cat. Sorry, it's wrong. I have to give it back. There you go. Whoa. Woo. That's actually, that would kill someone, that, that wallet. That's really heavy. So, thou shalt, so committing adultery, is that, you know, that was one of the Ten Commandments. That's one of the laws. Is that still applicable today? This is a hard quiz, this one. Anyone who agrees that committing adultery is wrong today? That's great, okay. Really? Some of you didn't put your hands up. Okay, slap your neighbor. Tell him next time he says an obvious question, get your hand up, sinner. Okay, so committing adultery is still wrong. So why is stealing, committing adultery, it's in the law, but yet we still know it's wrong, yeah? Why? Because it was wrong in the law, sure, but it was wrong hundreds of years before the law as well. It's always been wrong. So the point about tithing is this, tithing's actually always been right. Yes, it appears in the Old Testament law, sure, but way before the law, it was practiced by people of faith, and they are examples. So four or five hundred years before the law ever came to be, Abraham and Jacob tithed. And Abraham, according to Galatians 3, is held up for us as an example of how it is to live by faith for us. So Jesus himself said in Matthew 23, verse 23, that you ought to tithe. And so it's a tenth, and it's a test. But the next thing about tithing is it's not just the amount, it's also the priority. Say priority. Exodus 23, verse 19. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soils to the house of the Lord your God. Bring the best of the first fruits. 
The tithe isn't just the amount, it's also the order of priority. It's the order of importance. First, say first. First, see when you give a tithe and it's the first thing you give, what you're saying in that moment, I guess you could say your budget is a theological statement. The first thing you're giving, you are saying in that moment, you have preeminence over all my finances and all my life and all my possession. That's what you're saying when you give God the first. You see, if, you, if you're in a relationship and you put God first, how many people know that relationship will go well? Yeah? If you're at workplace and you put God first at work, how many people know it's going to go well at work? Yeah? If you put God first in your finances, how many people know it's going to go well with your finances? It's true, isn't it? So this is a principle that runs through. It says in Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first, say first, of all your produce so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Give God first. Give God the first and the rest will be blessed. See, imagine you worked a day and you were paid in cash, 100 pounds, and you had 10 10 pounds notes. You were given that. Question is, which one of those 10 pound notes is the tithe? Hmm. Which one is it? And the answer is the first one that leaves your hands. Now, if you choose the first thing you do when you get that hundreds to take that first 10 and go to the sweetie shop and buy Mars bars, bonbons, and iron brew, right? You've just tithed to the sweetie shop, okay? Because it's the first one that left your hands. So the tithe isn't just the amount, it's the order of priority. And I think it's great just to honor God and just to put him first. And do you know what's amazing? Giving the first tenth to God is actually an act of faith. It's not like you wait till the end of the month. All right, can I afford it? Oh, yeah, I can afford to tithe. Uh, Then there you go, Lord bless you. Okay. (laughs) That's not what it's That's not really faith, is it? It's not really trusting God. But when you give it first, before you paid any bill, before you know how the week's going to go, before you know how the month's going to go, you don't know what challenges you're going to face, you don't know if your car's going to break down or anything like that, and you say, okay, God, before anything else, here's the tithe. You're actually operating in faith, and it's, see, you can technically tithe by giving 10%, but you can accurately tithe by giving the first 10, and it's before anything else goes out, before you pay taxes, before anything else, God, here's 10. I want to honor your name with the 10 it's amazing. And it's tithing goes to the house. And you see that in many of the verses, but throughout the Bible, tithing goes to the house. It's good to give to charities. It's good to give to the poor. And that's an offering. That's over and above. And that's great. And we all do that. And we love that. And that's what we do as a church. Um, in fact, last year as a church, we gave away from this church outside of ourselves about £80,000 to missions and to caring for the poor and to doing orphanages and all that sort of thing globally. That's what our giving, 10%, we gave away, in fact, it was 18% of our income last year, we gave away as a church to some of these great causes. So it's good to give away to great causes. However, the tithe goes to the house. And why is that? I think the house is so important. The church of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's the only thing on planet earth he's building. I actually believe it is God's plan A for redemption of this earth is the church. We are the vehicle through which his kingdom advances. When the church goes well, you get your history books out and check this. When the church is going well in a city or in a nation, guess what happens? That city and nation does well. When a church is succeeding, when there's a revival of, of the church in any nation, 
politically things get better. The poor get cared for more. There is more justice. Youth crime drops dramatically. You do your research and you will find this. Where churches succeed around the world, it actually brings transformation in a nation. That's why I believe the priority of honoring God with the tithe comes to the body of Christ, the church. Now, God could have, I mean, God could have provided for the church in any way he wanted. But throughout the Bible, he's always done it through his people. So in the Old Testament, it was through the contribution of the people that the first tabernacle was built. And then it was in David's time that the contribution of the people, including David's, was for the temple, the house of God. In fact, David, and you find this in 1 Chronicles 22 and 29, he gave so lavishly to the house of God in Jerusalem, that was the, that, I guess that was what, we, what he, his house of God was in those days, he gave so lavishly that if you were to calculate the amount of gold in today's money, he gave between 20 and 30 billion away to the house of God. That's mental. That's incredible. That guy Jeff Letts I was telling you about earlier, the quote I read. I was chatting to Jeff a few years ago, and he's a very successful businessman in London. And he was telling me that he, when he started to succeed in business, he had just become a Christian, and he was in a little local church. And he was aware that the church had a mortgage to pay. And he made a decision before God, and he said, God, I want to do so well in business that I can clear my church's mortgage before the next five years is up. Amazing. And he did. By God's grace, he was able to clear the, the whole debt. And I love that. I just think that's amazing. David, who gave so lavishly to the temple, he said this about, this is David's vision. Psalm 122, verse 9, for the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your prosperity. Do you know what? It's not about getting rich for your sake. It's about how can I be blessed? How can you be blessed so that we can be the people of God and really significantly make a difference in our generation? That's what it's about. And so, you know, me and Ange, what we do is we give by standing order. We give our tithes and offerings by standing order. And listen, if you're visiting today, do you know what? Don't want your money. Don't want your money. And if you never came back to church, I don't want your money. I want you to know God's. That's the most important thing for me. But hey, if you want to give in this church, I encourage you, why not consider giving by standing order a regular amount, a tithe and an offering. Think about how you can make a difference. And I believe blessing comes through that. If you have any questions about how the church handles money, or you need any clarification on any of the things I've said, uh, email Andrew McGreen. His, his, his email address, andrewmcgreen at destinyedinburgh.com. Andrew's our business and finance guy. He, he does the budget. He's actually meticulous with this stuff, so it's been handled very well. We're meticulous with our stewardship, um, and everything's handled well. Just to be really clear, in case you get cynical, my salary, I never set my salary. My salary, this, this talk here today doesn't affect what I get paid in the slightest. So don't think he's saying these things so he gets paid more. You cynics. I want, okay, just in case you were thinking that, I want to be really clear on that. I have no say in my salary. My salary is set for me. And by the way, I did this for years without getting paid a penny because I just love the church. I, I worked full time in an architect's office and we birthed this church with sweat and blood and graft because I just love the local church. I would do this whether I'm paid or not. So you need to understand, I live what I'm talking about. And I've done this for years, even before Destiny Church Edinburgh came on the scene. And I would encourage you, live by these principles. Honor God with your wealth. Put him first and give the tithe. And over and above that offerings. Give me an amen if you agree. Okay, so coming back to, why are you clapping? Because I don't set my own salary? Or what's the, Andrew McGreen's email address yet is impressive. Okay, so coming back to the verses, seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, how does it end? 
And all these things will be given to you as well. All these things. A teacher said to Billy one day, Billy, if you have two pounds and you ask your dad for four, how much money will you have? And Billy said, two pounds. And she said, Billy, you don't know your maths. And Billy said, you don't know my dad. <laughs> now, you don't know my dad. My heavenly father, unlike Billy's dad, is actually radically generous, consistent, and he just loves blessing people. That's right through the Bible. He hates it when it gets a hold of our heart. He hates it when we start loving money and we start making it all about that stuff. Okay? I mean, who, who cares about that stuff, right? Honestly, I, I think I'm actually very, very blessed. We've got all that we want in life. We're living in a house we could never have afforded to live in. We've owned things that we could never have afforded to own. And do you know what? I don't care about any of it. Actually, I honestly don't. You can ask Angie and the kids. It doesn't touch me. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. But God has blessed me. He really has. And as I've sought first his kingdom, he's totally blessed me. And do you know what? I know this. He will bless you. Let's go back to the verse that says, way back in Malachi. Listen to what it says. Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you such a blessing, so that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops, and the, and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty, and all nations will call you blessed. God says, test me in this, and see if I will not throw open for you the floodgates of heaven. And that is consistent. You read 2 Corinthians, this is consistent with the New Testament's teaching on God's prospering you. And you know what? He will bless you so that you can be a blessing. He wants us not just to be a dead-end thing. He wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. You see, if you understand that, you're, gonna th you're thinking, I can't afford to give 10%. If you actually understand that, you think, I can't afford not to give 10% because you have no idea what God will do with the 90. You give the 10, God will bless the 90 massively. What's a floodgate? A floodgate is something that holds back a whole reserve of things that should have been coming to you but weren't. And what the tithe does is the tithe is like the key that unlocks the floodgate that paves the way for God's provision in your life. I assure you, well, God assures you. He said, test me. You don't need to worry about a thing. You tithe, you live for Jesus Christ, you live, don't live for stuff, don't live for this world, live for God and his purposes. You don't need to worry about a thing. Every provision you need will be covered. Cars will be provided for, your jobs will be provided for, the, the things that worry you, all covered by God. Where are you going to live? He's got it covered, better than you ever imagine. God, honestly, God has got it so covered. God has got it so covered. It's nothing, and it's nothing to do with the economy. This, and you don't have to kind of, it stops you getting into this manipulation thing where you start kind of shimmying up to the boss and being all nice to the boss and doing things to be seen in your office and trying to, trying to manipulate your way into blessings. You know what? God, see, when God decides to bless you, he doesn't call a committee together and figure out how you've been doing. He doesn't, fo he doesn't phone your boss. It's true. He doesn't phone up your boss and saying, hey, have, you, have you noticed they've been doing? No, no. God, if God decides to bless you, it's got zip all to do with how much you've been doing to try and make it happen for yourself. Nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with the economy. Nothing to do with your employment situation. And nothing to do with your education or lack of. God is able to provide for you because he promises he will. And I believe he's a faithful God. Unlike Billy's dad, my God's a generous father. So true. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all other things 
will be given to you as well. Let's pray. Jesus, you love this people. And I know that you love this so much, Jesus, that you are willing to die on that cross and rise again. And God, the most important thing above everything else in life is that you have our hearts. That you are the main thing in our souls. God, we want to make the main thing the main thing. And that main thing is you. We want you to be first in our lives. We want you to be first in our church. We want you to be first in our finances. We want you to be first in our relationships. We want you to be first, God, in our recreation. We want you to be first in our workplaces. And God, thank you when you are first, everything else falls into place. Just in his presence, take a moment to pray your own response to God. Just each one of you, I guess, with a message like this, there's probably so many things being covered. And there'll be different things that will have triggered something in your soul. So I just want you to take a minute and just you respond and pray back your own response to God from what you've heard. No point hearing stuff and not doing anything about it. You make some decisions before God just now. God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for hearing our prayers as we're praying to you just now. Just while people are praying, if you're here today and you've never put your trust in the Savior, Jesus, I'm not asking if you've been religious. I'm talking about the ultimate thing. Is, is the main thing the main thing? Seek first the kingdom and, the right, and his righteousness. Let Jesus be Lord of your life. Put your trust in the one who died for you and rose again. Commit your life to him. You will never regret that. And as I said before, I say again, listen, this is not about you joining this church or giving money to this church. Even if you never came back to this church again, do you know the most important thing is that you know God. More important than everything else in life, that you know God. And if that's you today and you're saying, Peter, okay, I want to know God, then I invite you very simply in this moment to pray this prayer with me one line at a time. Under your breath, just repeat after me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your great love for me. Jesus, thank you. You were willing to die for me on the cross and rise again on the third day. In that moment, I believe you died so that my sins could be taken away. And today, I cry out to you to be my Savior forever. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day and you're alive right now. And today, I make a choice. seek you first Jesus be Lord of my life take first place in my heart I commit myself to you thanks for hearing my prayer